Well, I am uh, I'm really delighted to be here. Uh, 20 pounds ago, huh? That was uh, that was pretty interesting, Jeremy. I, don't forget, I get the last word, so <laughs> I, I have a lot of opportunities this weekend for retaliation. Um, but man, it's so glad, great to be here. What a great turnout! Y'all couldn't find anything better to do on a Friday night than come out and talk about the Lord. Wow, that's great. Uh, we'll take it, right? And. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here and uh, just excited about what, uh, what we're going to be talking about. I promised, uh, I mentioned this to a couple of people before we got started, and I promised not to uh, make any Packers jokes because I don't think that would go over very well in this audience. I'm a, a diehard Cowboys fan, and so I thought to just, yeah, I know, you, I thought to kind of make a, a little connecting point here at the beginning, I would talk about how disappointed we all are as Cowboys fans. You know, my, my kids, we have six kids, and they don't believe me when I tell them the Cowboys used to be good because it's been like 25 uh, years that they've been uh, disappointing us. In fact, uh, uh, it's been so disappointing as Cowboys fans. I told my kids recently when I die, I want them to find uh, six Dallas Cowboys to be my pallbearers at my funeral. Uh, so they can let me down one last time. But uh, uh, it's been such a bad year for the Cowboys. Uh, it, it's been so bad for the Cowboys in recent years that actually uh, not too long ago, somebody gave me two tickets to a Dallas Cowboys game. And I left them on my dashboard in my car while I was running an errand and parked in a parking lot. When I came back out, would you believe someone had broken into my car, smashed the window, and left two more tickets. So um, it's just that been that kind of been that kind of kind of time for the Cowboys. But um, we've got uh, just a lot of ground uh, to cover this weekend. I'm so excited. Uh, the book uh, Spirit of the Antichrist just came out March 21st, and this is actually my first opportunity uh, to do a conference about uh, this topic. So I've spent quite a bit of time in preparation, kind of piecing together. Uh, six sessions, and um, so we'll have two sessions together tonight, three tomorrow, and then uh, one Sunday morning, which I'll kind of wrap it all up with a message I'm calling How to Avoid Deception, uh, and then uh, we're going to also have a Q&A on Sunday morning. Uh, so I hope you'll uh, take the time to jot down questions throughout the weekend. I'm also going to try to allow time at the end of each session for a few questions, uh, that, that really helps me. I learn uh, well from kind of hearing from you, and it gets me thinking about things maybe I haven't thought about before. Uh, so hopefully we'll have a little bit of Q&A each, each session, uh, but we're going to dedicate a whole session to that uh, on Sunday uh, during the Bible study hour. Uh, but this uh, topic, the Spirit of the Antichrist, the gathering cloud of deception, is really the culmination basically of 15 years uh, worth of study. And it all began when I was sitting in a Chinese food restaurant in Houston, Texas with a colleague of mine. We had worked together at a college uh, where I was teaching. I, I was in academics for 12 years. And uh, I had left that school but still had a great relationship with Shane was his name. Uh, we're still close friends to this day. And we were just talking about the usual stuff that we talk about, uh, theology and current events and you know politics and those types of things. And uh, he began uh, kind of talking about some things that I had never heard before. And I remember very vividly as I was sitting there talking to him, uh, thinking to myself, uh, this guy, Shane, must be absolutely nuts. But I, I knew him. I respected him. He was a brilliant academician, a credentialed academician. And there was this disconnect in my mind because what he was, sound, what he was saying was so new to me and so different uh, that there was this, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance, and yet I respected him enough that after a, a two or three hour discussion over lunch uh, that blew way past our lunch hour, uh, I went home and I kind of started digging a little deeper, and it really started my journey down uh, the rabbit hole, and, uh, and a lot of what I am going to be presenting this weekend really began uh, in seed form uh, that fateful lunch hour. So the book... Uh, obviously gets into unmasking the Luciferian conspiracy. I'm going to define that term biblically here in the course of our time together uh, and the coming New World Order. I'm also going to talk about how this satanic one-world system, the stage is being set for it right now, especially in the last uh, couple of years, but it's, uh, it's been being set for some time, as you shall 
see. We also have an 18 video, a 14 hour series that's available either by streaming or uh, DVD uh, if you'd rather, uh, if you're more interested in, in the videos than the, uh, than the book. But for the first session, I'm going to call this, and by the way, we've given you some pages to take notes on. Um, the, I, as I mentioned, I was kind of tweaking this even up until last night, and I texted uh, Jeremy as I was kind of putting the finishing touches on the six sessions last night and said, hey, I think I'm going to tweak some things, change some titles. And he said, oh, no, we've already printed the, the handout. So just uh, the, some of the titles are a little different on here, but the content's the same. Uh, I think for tonight, I've basically reversed the two sessions from the way it's listed on your, uh, on your handout. But we're going to start out by talking about what I call the Great Satanic Reset. What in the world is going on? You know, we're living in an incredible time of historic change. And what I'd like to do is set the stage in this first hour, then we'll take a break. Then I'm going to come back and we're going to get into the Word of God and talk about how everything that is happening is in accord with God's plan of the ages. This cosmic struggle between Satan and God that began in the heavenlies, spilled over into the earth when Satan was banished from heaven with one-third of the angels, and now he's been trying for 6,000 years to take over the world for himself. And so that's really the premise in a nutshell. Uh, but I want to begin in this first session by sort of whetting our appetites and uh, sort of mastering the obvious of all that is happening uh, at uh, warp speed all around us. It's, the world is changing faster and more radically than at any other time in human history. In fact, so much so that major news outlets and key world figures, uh, such as Klaus Schwab, who we're going to talk a lot about tonight, have suggested that we start using B.C., before COVID, and AC, after COVID, to reckon time. I'm not kidding. The New York Times, for example, had this big piece, a new historical divide, BC and AC, the world before corona and the world after. Or here's the Financial Times of London. Again, life BC and AC. So what in the world is going on? Sometimes events happen so fast that their effects are upon us before we realize what has happened. It's like asking a fish about water. You know, you just can't do it because it's in, the, it's in the, the, the air that we breathe, if you will. And when changes are so evil and so nefarious and so dangerous, then the results of not paying attention to what is in plain sight can be disastrous. And yet, for those who are paying attention, there are always signals that will alert us to some of the pending change. I heard just... Last week, I was listening to an interview between uh, Michelle Bachman being interviewed by Jan Markell on Understanding the Times Radio, and Michelle made this comment, we are literally watching the twilight of Western civilization. Now, the book of Proverbs, just to kind of talk about the importance of paying attention and being awake to what's really happening, reminds us that a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. One translation puts it this way, the prudent sees danger. Remember, evil in the Old Testament Hebrew is not always a moral description. It can mean just something bad that's about to happen, something dangerous, something disastrous. And that's the sense here in Proverbs 22.3. So a prudent man sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Similarly, Proverbs 13 says every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. In other words, a wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. So what in the world is going on? Business as usual is no longer acceptable uh, for God's people. At a time when our country is going woke, more Christians need to be awake to the reality that is before us. As my mentor and a man I know you know because he was here last year speaking at a prophecy conference that you hosted, Dr. Mike Stowler, a dear friend and mentor of mine. I did my Ph.D. studies under Mike. And uh, he said recently, quote, the last thing the world needs is more sleepy Christians. So my guess is in a group this size, we've got some sleepy Christians in here. I'm not speaking of your spiritual condition or love for the Lord or your appetite for God's Word, but I'm talking about We've probably got, just the law of large numbers, some folks here who maybe are not aware of a lot of what we're going to be talking about this weekend. Maybe this is the first time you're going to hear some of it. And I encourage you not 
to take my word for anything you hear. You know, in the book, we've got 38 pages, 38 pages of bibliographic citations so you can do your own research. And uh, just because you've never heard something before doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, and uh, so I would encourage you to kind of listen carefully, maybe take some notes. And if you we talk about a topic that is new to you, maybe that's because it's time to kind of do a little bit of of research. You know, Paul said, do, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. So, you know, the world wants to convince us that there's nothing to see here, and I realize that for many people the information that we're covering in this conference might seem kind of heavy. You know, maybe it's too negative, maybe it's too depressing. And for those of you who find this information too sensational or somehow too hard to handle, then I suggest keep your head in the sand. And by the way, uh, if you don't live near a beach, I know you've got Lake Superior not too far from here, but if you don't live near a beach, simply go to your nearest Lowe's or Home Depot and purchase one of those large five-gallon buckets and a, and a five-pound bag of play sand, and then stick your head in the bucket and pour in the sand. You'll be fine. Uh, but for the rest of you, if you're interested, and being awake to the spiritual battle that is raging all around us and some of the things that are happening in plain sight, then hold on tight because it's going to be a wild ride. You know, Paul said, in the last days, perilous times will come. And although we believe the rapture is imminent, we cannot set a date. Imminent means it could happen at any time. Uh, we have a, a DVD called The Imminency of the Rapture, approving that point doctrinally from Scripture. Nevertheless, Jesus said that we should look for the signs of the times. And as we look around us at the stage being set, we can really only come to one conclusion. It can't be much longer. Now, I'm not here to set dates, but I am here to say that uh, with all of the frontier that Satan himself has conquered in his cosmic struggle with God trying to take over this world, it seems like there's very little ground left to, to take. I mean, he's conquered life. He's conquered marriage. He's conquered language. Uh, he's he's uh, he's every, everything around truth, the, the meaning of words, the inherent meaning of words. All of that is is, is long since uh, been conquered, and so it just seems to me that uh, it can't be much longer. Now the Lord is long suffering. He's gracious. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all the world to be saved, and and we don't have the mind of God. Perhaps His timetable may surprise us, and maybe it might not be for a hundred years. Maybe. You know, our grandchildren, maybe my little granddaughter will grow up someday and attend a conference like this and hear people talk about the setting of the stage for the God's end times plan. I don't know. But if, you had, if I had to speculate, I would say we are on the cusp of the end game. You know, 16% of the Bible is unfulfilled prophecy. And as Peter prophesied in 2 Peter 3, many people today in these latter days, have no appetite whatsoever for end times Bible prophecy. The, the theological term for that is eschatology. You just don't hear churches talking about it. And I call those churches the 84% club because they're content to study 84% of God's Word. I'm not. I believe we should study the whole counsel of God, and that includes the 16% of end times prophecy that is yet to be uh, fulfilled. And so I really think we are standing on the cusp of entering that end times. The next great event to which the world looks forward prophetically is the rapture, and uh, that's when he's going to call the church home to meet the Lord in the air, and then things will begin to unfold rapidly as we're going to talk about uh, this weekend. But we know from the words of Paul in 67 AD in the last letter that he wrote in Scripture in the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that things are getting worse and worse. Now, if that was true in 67 AD, imagine how much truer that is today, nearly 2,000 years later. You see, depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better with time. It does not self-correct. And certainly, a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight may shock some people. And they may think, oh, I had no idea that it was this bad or that there was that much evil out there. Well, let me tell you, it's actually far worse uh, than even what I've been able uh, to uncover. And that's biblical. Evil men and imposters will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the subtitle of the book is The Gathering Cloud of Deception. And uh, I really believe, again, based on just the, uh, the crowd size that's here tonight, and of course those that are 
live streaming that there are probably people within the sound of my voice right now who have been deceived on certain things. I know I had. I was stunned. In fact, the more I went down this rabbit hole and began to study through the lens of Scripture what reality really is, what's really happening in this world, the angrier I got at myself. Yes, angry at Satan, angry at the Luciferians, angry at the global elite and all of those that are behind it and are co-conspirators with Satan to take over this world, but mostly angry at myself because I had let myself be deceived. And it turns out that almost nothing that I had been taught in the compulsory run government schooling and things like that was true. Um, in that same letter, uh, Paul went on to say, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, when we read that as biblicists and people that are part of a Bible church and really value the teaching of the Word of God expositionally, we tend to think of that through the lens of doctrine. But that's not all that he was talking about there. Fables come in all shapes and sizes. We're not just talking here about doctrinal uh, heresy biblically. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, the ultimate leader of this conspiracy is Satan himself, whom Jesus said was a liar from the beginning. When he speaks, he speaks a lie because that's all he knows how to speak. And uh, his legion of demons that are working with him in this conspiracy are deceiving spirits. Uh, and, and they're deceiving people, which is why Paul said deception will get worse and worse. Um, they will have their own conscience seared with a hot iron, uh, Paul tells us. So the great satanic reset. What in the world is going on? Well, one of the biggest players in the Luciferian conspiracy today, and in our next session I'm actually going to define that and show you the biblical basis for the Luciferian conspiracy, uh, but just to kind of get us thinking in these terms and recognizing what's happening all around us, uh, one of the biggest players in the Luciferian conspiracy today is Klaus Schwab and his great satanic uh, reset. So I think most of you by now are probably familiar with the name Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and his concept of build back better, which is a long-standing Luciferian credo of order out of chaos. So they've got to destroy so they can rebuild according to their own agenda. And by the way, one of the biggest things standing in the way of the one world satanic system is the United States of America. Um, and, uh, you know, we have more uh, Bible-believing, patriotic, freedom-loving, gun-owning people in our country per capita than, than any other country. And so uh, that's the reason right now they're systematically dismantling this great country of ours. I mean, we've watched the Bill of Rights be literally shredded. Uh, in fact, Time Magazine had a cover article a few years ago showing the Constitution going through a shredder with the caption, does it still matter? And so they believe in, when they say build back better, which by the way, our current administration used that same title for an economic bill that went before Congress not long ago, build back better. It's a catchphrase. Uh, when they say build back better, what they are talking about is destroying so that they can rebuild according to uh, Satan's agenda. So every single news item today, just about, can be connected back to the World Economic Forum. And they talk about, you know, stakeholder philosophy, stakeholder concept, stakeholder capitalism is another phrase. But whenever you hear that phrase, stakeholder, it means it's, it's just kind of their way of throwing crumbs at the uninitiated and, and lower echelons of the world so that the enlightened elite can actually have full control. So you, you may be a stakeholder. There's, in other words, this is going to affect you, but you're not a decision maker. You're not in authority or, or you have no control. The World Economic Forum and the United Nations have signed a partnership agreement to accelerate Agenda 2030. And in fact, uh, in my eight-part uh, streaming video series that I did uh, last year called What in the World is Going On? Some of this is taken from that. I actually dedicate a whole session to the Luciferian timetable, and I show that how for the last hundred years in their own writings, including the writings of Alice Bailey, who uh, in her own words was channeling a demon 
to, to, to talk about the timetable for ushering in the New World Order, talked about 2025 repeatedly that year uh, was mentioned. Uh, when the control of virus scamdemic was rolled out, they were shocked at how easily they were able to pull the wool over the world's eyes. And so this Agenda 2030, which has been kind of their target, has now been accelerated. And in their own writings, uh, you'll see that they're talking frequently about the mid-2020s. Uh, so again, it doesn't mean just because that's the Luciferian timetable that that's our Lord God Almighty's timetable. He's sovereign, and he may, he may say, whoa. You know, they've been trying to usher in the one world system for centuries. Really, Satan's been trying to usher it in for 6,000 years. But in the modern age, they've been trying to usher it in for hundreds of years. And, uh, and, and they haven't done it because Satan's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, um, and he, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, he's not all-present, he can only be at one place at one time. And same thing with his demons. And so there's infighting, there's conflicts, there's chaos, there's competing agendas, and they fumble over themselves and so forth. But I can tell you, they are chomping at the bit now. They think this is their greatest opportunity to realize a long-standing agenda of a one-world system led by a satanically inspired leader that the Bible refers to as the Antichrist or the man of sin or the beast. And so um, this is their, their timetable. Uh, and of course, the World Economic Forum, uh, one of the most influential groups that helped at the beginning of the founding of the World Economic Forum was the Club of Rome back in 1971. Um, and there was a secret group uh, consisting of uh, many people from the Rockefeller Foundation and others that started, uh, including David Rockefeller himself, the Club of Rome in 1968. And their purpose was to influence the world and help accomplish a one world government system. We're going to talk more about that as we go through this weekend, including uh, some quotes from the World Government Summit that was just held. Um, so it was originally funded as a European management forum, uh, but then its name was changed in 1987 to the World Economic Forum. And its mission was improving the state of the world by engaging in, quote, business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape, to shape global, regional, and industry standards. So the, the WEF is widely known for its annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland in January. And often you'll hear world leaders, wealthy elites, and other influential globalists referred to as Davos men or Davos women, meaning that they have kind of grown up under the tutelage of this very influential group, the World Economic Forum. But the World Economic Forum, little people, uh, few people understand, wasn't simply the brainchild of Klaus Schwab, nor was it solely uh, influenced by the Club of Rome. It was actually born out of a CIA-funded Harvard program headed by Henry Kissinger and pushed to fruition by John Kenneth Galbraith, another Harvard professor, and also uh, uh, Herman Kahn. If you don't know that name, he's the real Dr. Strangelove. If you ever watched that 1964 Stanley Kubrick film about the Cold War starring uh, Peter Sellers uh, and George C. Scott, uh, Herman Kahn was from the Rand Corporation, and the three of them, Galbraith, uh, Herman Kahn, and Kissinger, basically got together at an uh, uh, economic uh, meeting, a special gathering at on, that was an uh, institution that was held, or uh, not an institution, but a conference that was held on the campus of Harvard, and personally recruited Klaus Schwab, and this was all part of their plan. Uh, so the CIA had its hand in the beginnings of the World Economic Forum as well. Uh, one of the Club of Rome's first productions was a 1972 book called The Limits to Growth, in which they advocated for depopulation and eugenics. And you still hear talking heads on TV uh, from both, the, the, the both sides of the fake left-right paradigm talking about this as a standard uh, book. And we're going to talk more about depopulation uh, tomorrow. But what they're calling the Great Reset is really the Great Satanic Reset. And this did not come about as a reaction to COVID, by the way. A lot of people think that you know, the World Economic Forum seized the opportunity of this pandemic and hastily put forth this plan. No, their plan was in place for years. And all they did on their website, and you can go back and, and look in the archives and 
uh, and see examples of you know, pre and post COVID, all they did is go in and change some of the wording on their website to reflect COVID. <laughs> so they've been planning this rollout. First it was Agenda 21, and then they had some setbacks, and then it pushed out to Agenda 2030 and so forth. Um, but uh, you know, this, uh, th the question is, is this massive, comprehensive global agenda that is being sponsored by people like Bill and Melinda Gates, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, and by Bill and Melinda Gates, I know they're not together anymore, but the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is what I mean, George Soros and other entities, is it really the Luciferian endgame? Uh, who's to say, ultimately God is to say, uh, but we know what their plan is, and we know what the biblical narrative is, that it's all going to culminate in a one-world system. For seven years, that one, at least, for seven years, that one-world system will be led by the Antichrist after the rapture, and then ultimately by the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself, who comes back and the government will be upon his shoulder. He will rule with a rod of iron, and it will be an unprecedented time of peace, justice, and righteousness for a thousand years during the millennium. But uh, what I'm about to explain is going to make uh, those of you that are well-studied maybe in this Luciferian conspiracy uh, cringe, and those of you that are unaware entirely, well, all I can say is welcome to the asylum, because it is, uh, it is, it is going, to be, uh, uh, it's going to be something. Now, if you prefer a more upbeat, positive chicken soup for the soul pep talk, then this conference Probably not the best conference for you, um, although we get, it is a message of hope, you know. If, if you don't understand the bad news, then you can't appreciate the good news, amen? amen? It's just like salvation. If you don't know you're lost and sold under sin, headed to an eternity in a literal place of torment called hell, then how are you going to appreciate the good news of God's amazing grace? Amen. Well, the same thing is true as we study end times Bible prophecy. Uh, it is in the Bible for a reason. And this spiritual battle, this cosmic struggle is in the Bible for a reason. And we need to be prepared uh, and see what's coming. Because our, first of all, life is valuable. So you don't want to just say, okay, Sarah, Sarah, and hop on the train and go to the detention center and, uh, and, and, and find out before it's too late that it wasn't a detention center. God wants you here. God has a purpose for you. And as long as, uh, you know, his coming is delayed, we've got a job to do. And, we, and for the sake of our children and our grandchildren, we need to be prepared and watch out for what's uh, coming. It's too serious uh, of a matter. Uh, but we know who wins in the end. And so let's talk about the, the Great Reset. Of course, uh, Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, uh, The Great Reset, uh, really outlines how they're using the pandemic as a pretext to usher in some of the long-planned agendas that they've been talking about economically, politically, religiously, um, in terms of a one-world system. Uh, November 2020, the Time magazine cover at the peak of the uh, pandemic uh, was entitled The Great Reset. And it talks about how we need to rebuild, build back better, the entire global system because it is so wrong right now. And the man at the center of this is Klaus Schwab. He was born in Ravensburg in 1938 in southern Germany, 445 miles south of Berlin and 100 miles north of Davos, Switzerland. And Klaus Schwab is a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, a police state regime built on fear and violence, on brainwashing and control, on propaganda and lies, on eugenics, on dehumanization and disinfection on a chilling and grandiose version of a new order that would last a thousand uh, years. He is in his 80s now, um, and that's why there is such an urgency to his part and the part of the, on his part and the part of the other Luciferians to see this come to fruition. He really believes that in his lifetime, he will be the one at the control center uh, guiding the world into this new one-world system. He's dedicated his life to reinventing Hitler's dystopian nightmare and trying to turn it into reality, not just for Germany, but for the whole world. His own words confirm time and again, as we shall see, his twisted, satanic, transhumanist vision, which will merge humans with machines in, quote, a curious mix of digital and analog life that will infect our bodies with smart dust and in which the police will be able to read our brains 
And as we shall also see, he and his Luciferian co-conspirators are using the COVID-19 crisis to bypass democratic accountability, override opposition, and accelerate their agenda so they can impose it on the rest of mankind against our will in what they're calling the Great Reset. Klaus Schwab likes to appear in his galactic garb, like you see on the screen, when making major announcements. Unsurprisingly, Schwab is connected to Jeffrey Epstein, like most others that are part of the Luciferian elite. Uh, Schwab is the front man for the New World Order agenda right now, not suggesting he's a candidate for the Antichrist. He's just a useful pawn right now. Uh, pretty close to the top tier. We're going to diagram this out uh, later this weekend, uh, the, the Luciferian echelons. Uh, but I don't think he's in the top tier, but he's pretty close to the top. Um, so while the Luciferian conspiracy is not monolithic, right now he is kind of clearly in the driver's seat, he and the World Economic Forum. He's at mission command. So Schwab's history on the internet has been well sanitized, making it difficult to find out much about his early life, and that's because his family, his father, was active in the Nazi agenda during World War II. Uh, Bill Gates has become a fixture in the World Economic Forum starting in 1996. Henry Kissinger, who all, whom I also mentioned, was actually influential in helping start the World Economic Former, uh, uh, Forum, uh, as was David Rockefeller and other globalists like Al Gore. At their annual meetings at Davos, they often have meditation sessions uh, on mindfulness, they call it, in which they try to imagine a better world free from 95% of its population. Now, I don't know how, only one way to do that, right? If you're going to get rid of a huge percent of the world's population, they're only going to do it one way, right? You can't like just blink and they're gone. You got to kill them. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about when we get to the issue of depopulation. So the World Economic Forum is essentially uh, the COVID response world headquarters. Klaus Schwab said the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect reimagine and reset our world. All of the big pharma corporations, including all of the ones that have produced COVID vaccinations, are listed as key partners on the World Economic Forum website. You can check it out. Uh, Klaus Schwab, this is from his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. At the time of writing th th this book, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short response is never. That settles it, right? Because he said it. Nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. He goes on, some analysts call it a major bifurcation. Others refer to a deep crisis of biblical proportions. Again, this is Klaus Schwab. But the essence remains the same. The world as we, know it, as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. Radical changes of such consequence are coming that some pundits have referred to it a, a, to, to a before coronavirus, BC, and after coronavirus era. We will, you can almost see how giddy they are with this. We will continue to be surprised by both the rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes. So they're telegraphing what they're going to do. In other words, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Uh, of these changes, as they conflate with each other, they will provoke second, third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects, and unforeseen outcomes. Now, his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which came out in 2013, again, this just shows you that this is a longstanding plan. Uh, had a lot to say about some of these same goals and ideas uh, as well. He said, quote, the fourth industrial revolution, or what insiders often call 4IR, you'll hear that phrase bandied about, uh, 4IR will affect the very essence of our human existence. It's basically techno-tyranny, using technology to usher in the kind of tyranny that God's Word speaks about during that seven-year tribulation. Now, let me interject here, if I may, biblically. I don't believe the Bible teaches that the one world system necessarily 
begins with the Antichrist. I've searched the scriptures, and although many dispensationalists, including myself, have taught that for years, it suddenly occurred to me that all we can say with certainty from God's Word is that the tribulation begins, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, that final seven-year period, with the unveiling of the Antichrist as he signs the peace treaty according to nine, Daniel 9.27, and he takes the helm of a one-world system. It could be that he institutes it, that it, that it sort of is instituted in the aftermath of the rapture, and then he takes the helm of it. But it could also be that if the Lord tarries his coming, we're all living in a one-world system prior to the rapture, and the Antichrist just takes the helm of it. I want you to think about that. We don't have the mind of the Lord. We don't know his timetable. And we need to be prepared, as Proverbs 22 uh, tells us. So this is part of their means of establishing a tyranny, a techno uh, tyranny. The comprehensive blueprint of, of what they are planning to do is right there in plain sight on their website. Obviously, I just took a screenshot. You can't really see that from where you are, but check it out at the World Economic Forum website. But this was already prominent prior to COVID-19. They're now just recasting it in the context of COVID-19. To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly, he says, to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Now, you may have seen this next uh, WEF promotional piece. This is from the World Economic Forum. It's a short 90-second uh, uh, you know, video in which they give eight predictions for the world in 2030. There's that time frame again. And again, from their own writings that I've seen, they're excited to think that they might be ahead of schedule. But this is eight predictions uh, for the world uh, in 2030. Let's see if we can get this to play. All right, we've got to reset my audio here. Hmm. Can't tell if it's coming out here or not, is it? Audio is not critical on this particular clip, but I've got several others that I want to make sure it's working. So this is eight predictions for the world by 2030. We'll just use 3D printers to make body parts because we're not human. Western values. They hate Western values. So the key one there was the very first one where they say you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Um, you know, I watched a seminar put on by the World Economic Forum in which the speaker, a World Economic Forum representative, was literally mocking anyone who thought they needed to own things. And, and I, I remember seeing her literally exasperated saying, why do you need to own something? Why can't you just lease it? Why do you care who owns it? Just, just sit back and relax and enjoy. You don't need to own anything. Um, and that's really where they're headed. And they're promoting this all over the place. Uh, this next clip is a 26-second a little video where they're promoting it to our children. This is from October 2020. Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable Paul Grover, with a message for listeners of the Great Reset. 
Well, you are in luck because I know a thing or two about resetting. Mm-hmm. I reset my alarm clock every morning. <laughs> but you are talking about resetting the entire world. Yeah. So this is this is a full court press on this agenda. It's the new normal. Uh, they use phrases like uh, global governance, biosecurity, the new normal, the new deal for nature, and of course, as I mentioned, the fourth uh, IR, or fourth industrial revolution. Schwab sits at the center of this matrix like a spider on a giant web. His aim is to replace democracy with a global leadership of hand-picked and unelected officials whose duty is not to serve the public, but to impose the rule of the Luciferian elite on that public with as little interference from the rest of us as possible. Now, Schwab's newest book that just came out in 2022 is called The Great Narrative. And again, you need to read some of this stuff or at least, you know, come to seminars like this where we're talking about it because it is happening in plain sight. And if all you ever do is watch Fox News, you're being completely mind controlled. We'll talk more about that uh, later. You're not getting the news. Uh, but here's some salient quotes from this brand new book uh, by uh, Klaus Schwab. The pandemic has occurred at a very particular juncture, you better believe it did, uh, when our economies and societies seem ill-suited to many of the challenges that lie ahead, when the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. He says, solutions to the major challenges we face do exist and are within our grasp, but they will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies, societies, as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. Our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change drastically. Freedom to travel, for example. Um, this is one of the scariest things that's, that's uh, I think, happening and happening very fast is a global digital currency, which is, of course, ripped from the headlines of Scripture. He says, could cryptocurrencies advance the environmental objectives and the policies that support them? Could they be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar? Disruption is coming. It will be both good and bad and major. So at the uh, World Government Summit that just was just held last month, you know, they talk about how having a global digital currency that is all-encompassing and universal so that you can't even sell a lawn chair at a garage sale without the government's approval. It's all, there's only one means of exchange, at least legally, and that is this digital currency. And what he means here when he says, could cryptocurrencies advance the environmental objectives is if the uh, big brother watching over you thinks that you're, you know, not doing your part to save Mother Earth, then when you go to check out at Walmart or wherever, they can just turn off your access. You know, you ever, you ever been checking out? I had this happen on our drive up. I tried two different credit cards at a gas station and neither one of them would work. Well, I know the credit cards are good. And so it kept saying, see cashier. And I kept saying to this little machine, which I'm sure couldn't hear me, but I was frustrated. I don't want to see the cashier. That's why I'm paying at the pump. If I wanted to see the cashier, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you. Um, but she did not respond. She was very rude. Very. Yeah. So I, in frustration, left and find someplace else. You know, I just, that's just the way I feel about it. But imagine a similar scenario when you're trying to check out and your card won't work, but it's not your card, it's your chip or your phone or whatever mechanism they have for advancing this non-physical digital currency. And it says, sorry, you know, you, uh, you used too much gas yesterday or you, you know, did this or that, so we're, we're shutting you down. That's what they want. They want that level of absolute control. Another quote from this new book, the fundamental issue of, of how our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness challenges our beliefs, morals, religions, and politics at their very core. 
and we are ill-prepared for that. So he talks a lot in here about how they, the Luciferian elite, are prepared for it, but the common people aren't. And so how can we help manipulate and pull this over on them in a way that's going to be the least reactive, cause the least reaction? But read that again. The fundamental issue of how our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness. See, humanness isn't innate. It's just something that we've had as an assumption, and we need to rethink that. We need to rethink what it means to be human. Um, but he said it's going to challenge our beliefs, our morals, our religions. In other words, those of us that believe the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, we, we need to be gotten out of the way. Uh, and then he quotes uh, Edward Osborne Wilson, who was, uh, I don't know if you've ever come across him in your readings, but he was known as the Ant-Man. He was a, a scientist, American biologist, and, and the world's leading expert on ants. <laughs> so that's his claim to fame. But he quotes this guy, and he was an atheist and a, and a Darwinian, but he said, we, we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technologies. And then Schwab comments, Indeed. Now let's break that down. In other words, our emotions are outdated, primitive, Paleolithic referring to an alleged time three million years ago when you know, all we could learn how to do was carve something out of a rock. You know, that was the best we could do, allegedly. So primitive. Our emotions are Paleolithic. Uh, our institutions read marriage, church, national sovereignty. <laughs> are medieval, which is using in a pejorative sense. I'm quite sure Wilson was too, but certainly uh, the quote here by Schwab is intended that way. And, and yet, our technologies are godlike. There's nothing we can't do, right? Um, so in their minds, you know, we're like a 13-year-old getting behind the controls of a jumbo jet. And we need the Luciferian elite, the initiated, to show us how to fly it. That's the way they think. Another quote, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. This is where they're talking about how they're going to manipulate us into going along with this great satanic reset. Nothing is more effective than the power of narratives, that is to say, developing stories, not truth, but stories, that are both pertinent and convincing to others. This is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically, and to move the agenda forward. He says, it, this, what he refers to in the book as the new golden age, would require major institutional innovations, among them a supranational institution to regulate finance at the global level. It's world government. It's world government. Now, we're going to have much more to say throughout the weekend about Klaus Schwab and many quotes from other Luciferians. Uh, but I want to end our first session by taking just a moment to kind of, before we go deeper down this rabbit hole, look at it through the lens of, you know, God's plan of the ages. Where does this global one world system uh, fit? So we'll call this human government and God's plan of the ages. Uh, so we need to, 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 to gain some perspective. And for that, let's go back to the creation account, Genesis 1 through 11. It's often been said, if you don't understand Genesis 1 through 11, you'll never understand the rest of the Bible. And so we see in Genesis 1 through 11, God's priority of relationships. And this is the way it should be to this day. It starts with man-God. Every one of us in this room, our number one priority should be to God, our Creator. The next relationship that comes along is husband-wife. I hope every married person in this room is comfortable saying, I love you, honey, but I love God more. If not, you, your relationship is out of balance. In fact, Jesus had something to say about that, didn't he, when he talked about discipleship. And when he said, you've got to hate your father, mother, and brother, and sister, he was using a figure of speech called hyperbole. But his point was the same that we see here from Genesis. The third relationship is parent-child. 
parent-child. I hope every parent in this room is comfortable saying to their son or daughter, I love you, sweetheart, but I love your mommy more. I love you, sweetheart, but I love your daddy more. They need to hear that. They need to, they need to understand the unconditional relationship of love between marriage. Marriage is a divine institution. Um, and then fourth, and I might say a distant fourth, <laughs> at least in terms of the chapters of Genesis, is citizen government. And it's just so uh, amazing to me, and yet it isn't, having studied this for so long, how through these last two or three years, they've actually convinced, particularly evangelical Christians, that they must do whatever the government says and blindly follow the government, when they know full well that ultimately they're going to get rid of national governments. And they don't want any type of democratic governmental oversight. They want totalitarian uh, tyranny. But yet uh, that's just the shameful way uh, that they operate. So that's God's priority of relationships. And as we take a closer look at that fourth one there, human government, we see that it began with globalism. When God created this earth, it was a globalist world. Uh, we read this in Genesis 1. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There weren't nation states in the garden. <laughs> it was a one-world government, and God was in charge, right? But in God's plan of the ages, we see that it shifted to a nationalist form of government, which we are still in to this day. So after the events of Genesis 6 uh, that the New Testament talks about and that, uh, that we see unfold in this section of Genesis chapters 1 through 11, God destroyed the earth through the flood. So here's, uh, we don't have time to kind of break all of this down, but basically 1,656 years after creation, God destroyed creation. So it didn't take long, did it? I mean, the church is older than that. Church has been around since 33 AD. So quick math, that's, you know, not quite coming up on 2,000 years. Another 11 years we'll be at the, we'll celebrate our, if the Lord doesn't come back, our 2,000 year anniversary as the church, the bride of Christ, universal. So it sure didn't take long for Satan to work his uh, evil spell, 1,656 years after creation. And thanks to the satanic influence of Darwinian thought through compulsory government schools with a little help from the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and a few of their friends, most people tend to think that mankind has gotten better and better and better. That we started out dumb as a rock and over millions of years we became intelligent beings. Not true. We started out brilliant in the image of God. And Satan has been chipping away at mankind ever, ever since the beginning. And uh, so by 1,656 years after creation, uh, uh, we see God destroying the earth. In the year 2348 B.C., if we kind of use the modern uh, dating system. So, you know, in the year 2348 B.C., or approximately 4,369 years ago, God destroyed the earth. 2348 B.C. Now, moving forward about 100 years later, after the flood, it didn't take long once again for Satan and his co-conspirators on earth, that, you know, 100 years is a long time. By the time Noah and his family got off the ark, the earth was begun to populate, and there was already evil People. So the year 2242 B.C., we read in Genesis 11, the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, the Tower of Babel. This was a post-flood rebellion against God by Noah's descendants. And God judged them by dividing the single language into multiple languages. And as these groups spread out and became isolated, then certain features like skin shade and eye shape became dominant in certain 
groups, and this was the beginning of the nationalistic uh, program that is still in effect uh, today. Now, why did they want to build this tower? Well, to understand the reason, we've got to go back to chapter 10 and the table of nations and a warrior named Nimrod. Verse 8, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was the grandson of Ham, and the Hebrew name Nimrod means we shall rebel. The biblical Nimrod is the first powerful Luciferian king on the earth. Um, and the first cities of his kingdom were cities like Babylon, where the Tower of Babel was built, Nineveh, and Cala in Assyria. According to, in Assyria. And according to Josephus, uh, we read, He, Nimrod, persuaded them to attribute their prosperity not to God, but to their own valor. You know, we are like gods. And little by little transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon his power. He threatened to have his revenge on God if he, would, if he wished to inundate the earth again. That's why they built the tower. Uh, we're ready for you this time, God. We want to overthrow this kingdom. This is Satan's world. This is Lucifer's world. See, the Luciferians think that, that Satan, the serpent, is the hero in the Genesis account and that God is the antagonist. That's why, as we shall see, they dedicate their books to him. They talk about them. They have sacrifices to him in dark, smoke-filled rooms. And so... Uh, they built, they said, well, this time we're ready for you. You got us last time, you know, when the angels left their proper domain and we were trying to distort the gene pool and trying to overcome God and so forth. We see it coming. We, we didn't see it coming and, and, and you got us, okay? But this time we're ready for it. We're going to build a tower. Go ahead, flood the earth again. We're ready. He says, for he would rather, he, he would build a tire higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. Back to Genesis 11, the Lord said, Indeed, the peoples are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. That's why the etymology of the word babbling comes from uh, the biblical city of Babel. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language there of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. And so thus we see the onset of nationalism. Nationalism. But as we return to God's plan for human government, we see that it will come full circle back to globalism once again. As time goes on in God's plan of the ages, we will see a return to a one world system. And that's what we're seeing the stage being set for today. Which is why so many Bible prophecy experts are saying, again, we can't set dates. Some try to set dates, the more sensationalist ones. I don't believe you can do that. But it's certainly quite appropriate to look at the setting of the stage and, uh, and, and see where it's, where it's heading. Um, I have a, a DVD that we have out at our resource table called, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the top 10 reasons we could be living in the last of the last days. Notice I said could be. Again, we don't know the Lord's timetable, um, but we sure know Satan's timetable. They've, you know, parroted it, I mean, uh, trumpeted it loud and clear. So we see this, you know, the Bible tells a story that comes full circle from Eden all the way back to a pre-fall Edenic state. It's a story of creation to redemption. It starts with the creation of the world and the creation of the nations, and of course the creation of Israel, God's chosen nation. Uh, that will take center stage in the kingdom someday and from which Christ will rule in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And then the creation of the church, which is God's uh, chosen uh, envoy in the present age. See, Israel has been set aside, not permanently, but temporarily, so that the church can fulfill its mission. And the church is to be a foreshadowing or a foretaste of the glory to come in the kingdom. Uh, and then we see, coming back around, redemption. 
starting with the rapture of the church, then the restoration of Israel in the regathering in the land, then the retribution of the nations at the second coming in Armageddon, and then ultimately the redemption of all creation with the new heavens and the new earth. And along the way, God has, is doing a lot. He's, he's got a plan for the church, a plan for Israel, a plan for individual men, a plan for angels, a plan for demons, uh, and, and much more. Uh, except cats. There's no plan for cats. They're an aberration, I think. But he's got a plan for everything else. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I love cats. Uh, they taste like chicken. But anyway, um, uh, but it's all, it's all about, I just lost about a third of you that now hate me. Um, it's all about ushering his glorious kingdom. And so here's the, here's the summary of that. We are headed towards a one-world government, one way or the other, according to Scripture. First, it will be a tyrannical, you know, seven-year time of God's wrath being poured out on the earth and Satan's wrath being poured out on the earth, culminating in the Battle of Armageddon. And then, ultimately, when we come back with Christ, it will be a time of unprecedented peace and righteousness when the Prince of Peace sits, sits on the throne. So the satanic part of that is what we're talking about. And again, you know, we are not promised that we will not suffer. In fact, for 2,000 years, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have suffered unspeakable persecution and martyrdom for the cause of Christ. We've been very blessed here in America, and we've only begun to get a taste of what it could be like. And we are not entitled you know, the rapture, the, the teaching of God's Word about the rapture does not teach that we're going to be rescued before it gets too bad. Uh, that's not, not the Bible that I read. We're promised we will be rescued before the great day of the Lord's wrath, that seven-year tribulation. Yes, but it, it could be bad tomorrow. In fact, I've often said at prophecy conferences, that has it ever occurred to you, if the Lord tarries us coming, that you might be raptured as a Chinese citizen? You know, we have this narrow, myopic view of American exceptionalism that um, is unfortunate. Because in the grand scheme of 6,000 years of human history and God's plan of the ages, America is great as a country as it is, and it, certainly God's used it in a powerful way to spread the gospel. But we're just really a dot on that timeline, 240, what, six, seven years old now, right? 1776, 247th birthday will be this year. That's not a lot of time. Uh, my friend uh, Ed Heinsen that I've done several conferences with, uh, he travels the world speaking about Bible prophecy and uh, just a phenomenal expert. Maybe you've read some of his stuff. Uh, but Dr. Ed Heinsen, when we've done Q&As uh, uh, together, inevitably after a prophecy conference, the first question at a Q&A that we will get is, where is America in Bible prophecy? And, and Dr. Heinsen gave the perfect answer one time. He said, you know, I appreciate the question, but I've traveled the world spoken in all kinds of countries about Bible prophecy, and nowhere else on the planet does anyone ever say, you know, where's Chile in, Amer in Bible prophecy? Or where's Costa Rica in Bible prophecy? Only here. Because somehow we think we're the end-all, be-all. Now listen, I'm proud of our country. I'm, I'm thankful that God allowed me to be born in a country like America. But let's, let's look through the lens of Scripture, not through the lens of red, white, and blue. And, um, and so, you know, if the Lord tarries is coming, we, who knows what the future is. I know that they want to destroy America. We know that, that they've made that clear. So Daniel talks about this satanic global system. Uh, in Revelation, we read that the Antichrist, all authority is given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Again, that's a globalist uh, paradigm. Um, uh, Satan will give him his power, his throne, and great authority. Uh, he, this, the devil will deceive the whole world. We see all kinds of references to this globalist uh, perspective. Uh, and ultimately, of course, we know that he's going to be bound up for a thousand years during the millennial phase of the kingdom where he can deceive the nations, plural, no longer. Uh, Psalm 2, which we're going to talk more about uh, in the next session, uh, really outlines this Luciferian uh, conspiracy. So we'll, we'll, we'll save that, since I'm over time in this first session, we'll save that for the second hour. But the return to globalism will eventually come full circle back to God's divine design. When we see from Psalm 2 that the, the, the anointed one comes back and takes the throne and rules in perfect peace and justice. And then um, 
as the psalm of Solomon, one of Solomon's psalms here says, Blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. And like that chart that I uh, showed you a moment ago. By the way, all of the charts and stuff that you see throughout the weekend, uh, if you're interested, check out the chart book. They're all there in our Not By Works book of charts, uh, uh, illustrations, and so forth. Uh, but we read from Isaiah that uh, a passage we often think about at Christmas time, but it has a second coming aspect as well, that the government will be upon his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end when he takes the throne. Daniel talks about God's return to a globalist righteous kingdom when he says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and shall stand forever. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, we read. So when we talk about the end times, we're talking essentially about globalism. The first seven years at least, again, it could be longer, the Antichrist will rule it for seven years, but we know at least for seven years there will be a satanically inspired one world system, and then ultimately uh, in the kingdom uh, and into all perpetuity in the new heavens and the new earth. So I believe we're standing on the precipice of the Luciferian endgame. And uh, in the next session, we're going to take a break in a second, but in the next sec session, we're going to talk more about this and kind of give you some more details. And I'm going to outline from Scripture what we mean by the Luciferian uh, conspiracy. So uh, we're not on any particular time schedule. Hopefully you were okay with uh, me going as long as I did just now. But before we break, are there any burning questions or comments that we, we'd like to address before we take a quick break? Any thoughts or comments or questions? Yes, ma'am, or sir. Sorry, I... That's okay. Uh, anybody here, Biden, telling teachers that the children are his? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he said the children are the teachers, but yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's what they want you to think. It, it takes a village, remember? Um, but I've seen the village, and I don't think we want that. Anybody else? Okay, look, let's take a, about a five-minute break or so, stretch, maybe get some refreshments, and then we'll call you back here shortly for the second session. <laughs>